Father, we're grateful for today. We're grateful to be encouraged, even as we hear others singing about your greatness, as it resonates with our own hearts. And we love to sing it ourselves, to declare that which is true and will matter forever. Now we would ask that you would open our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I can hardly think of something more controversial to say in the 21st century. And yet it was controversial in the first century, and it's been controversial in every century in between. It's not hate speech. It's the teachings of the apostles of Jesus. It's the teachings of Jesus himself. It's the teaching of all Christians ever since there have been Christians. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The exclusivity of the saving work of Jesus Christ. I think we'd better take a closer look in context because it's that important. So if you have a Bible, you can find the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. So I just read from Acts 4, 12. Uh, we're going to look at the greater context. Lord willing, today we'll look at Acts 4, verses 1 to 22. Uh, if you're just joining us, welcome. We are delighted that you are joining us. Uh, we've been studying this book now for a number of weeks, and what we've been seeing is this. We've been seeing in Acts chapter 1 and following that Jesus, having been raised from the dead, having been seen by eyewitnesses all over the place, ascended into heaven and ascended to his throne, that he is seated where a king sits and rules and reigns. So he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But before he left, he commissioned his disciples, and they would become called apostles. And that's important because apostles are those who have the authority of the one they represent. And so that's why the Bible again and again doesn't just call them apostles. It calls them the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles have been preaching good news. They've been preaching the gospel. They've been telling other people about how to find hope and how to find salvation and how to be forgiven and how to be reconciled to God. And and there's been a lot of encouraging things happening in Acts 1, 2, and 3. Many, by now thousands of people, have come to believe in Jesus as their Savior who hadn't been believing in Him. And so there's this sense of awe, and and it's exciting, and and it's very positive. We've seen a little bit of pushback, but not very much. And now we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4 and following, we're going to start seeing some pretty significant pushback. We're going to see some pretty significant objections. But you should know that as we see the pushback, also, we see more people believing. And we see more people coming to know Christ. One thing about this chapter is Christians, ever since there have been Christians, have found encouragement. I hope you're going to be encouraged today. Just because some people say no, and they say we don't want to hear anymore, and we might persecute you, the very same message, the very same message about Jesus leads to others saying, I want forgiveness, 
I want to be reconciled to God. I want to be promised resurrection. And they believe. And so Christians have been encouraged. I hope we're encouraged today to, to stick to the script, to stick to the gospel, knowing, yes, some people are going to say no. But other people are going to say yes, and they're going to thank us for giving them good news. So let's go ahead now and look at verses 1 and 2 to open. But I want to do something you shouldn't do, and that's change the Bible. Okay? But only temporarily. Okay, so I want to op- read the beginning statement of verse 1, then we're going to skip a portion and read the end of verse 2, only for effect, and then we'll cover the whole thing. Okay, So verse 1 says of chapter 4, and as they were speaking, as the apostles were speaking to the people, now let's cut out the middle part just for a little bit, down in verse 2, partially through, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus... The resurrection from the dead. Now, if that was a little awkward for you, I'll do it again just so you see what we're cutting out. And as they were speaking to the people, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Does it, could it get any better? Could it get any better to be promised resurrection from the dead? And the answer is no, it can't get any better because we all have a death problem. Right? We, we suffer, which is tied to death ultimately. We suffer, we live difficult lives, and, and then what happens? And then you die. And so here, if we have a, a solution to our death problem, which is worldwide, this is great. This is great. I was driving through, I don't know how many states I drove through yesterday, coming home from Arkansas and, and town after town, small towns. You stop to get gas in all the small towns. Well, first, you stop at the bank to get a loan for your gas, but I digress. <laughs> you stop in the small towns, and oftentimes in small towns, what's more pronounced than in this metropolitan area would be the cemeteries. Every, every place, uh, everywhere has a cemetery, but you, re- I really noticed, obviously I was going to preach on this too, but I really noticed these cemeteries, uh, that seem to be overflowing. Death is a common problem. It always has been a co- common problem. It is your biggest problem. And then comes judgment, a bigger problem. In Jesus, resurrection from the dead. Amazing. H- helping people with their greatest problem. In Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And I like the way Luke records it. They're teaching this because you need to know, you need to know facts about Jesus and why this could be true. But then he also uses the word proclaiming. That word that's used for announcing good things. Good news. Used in the ancient world, uh, when there's gonna be a good harvest. I've got good news for you all. It's not going to be a lean winter. We've had a good harvest. We're going to be satisfied, proclaiming good news. And so the apostles are teaching about Jesus, but they're also proclaiming about Jesus because it means if you trust in him, resurrection from the dead, resurrection from the dead. How can this be? How can there be resurrection in Jesus? Well, it can be because let's use some old, old school theology. Some of you like the the way the olden times theologians would say it, Jesus is a public person. Meaning, what Jesus did, he didn't do just for himself, he did it as a representative. So what he does affects others. Jesus not only did the right thing, 
He not only died a sinner's death, he not only was raised from the dead, he did so on behalf of those he represents. As a, That's what they mean by a public person. So if you trust in Christ, you're united to him by faith, that means you too will be raised. So resurrection in Jesus, because what he does, he's doing on behalf of those who would trust in him. Do you remember that very sad occasion in John, I think it's John 11 in the account, uh, and, and we have a death there and tears and mourning and grief and difficulty. Do you remember Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And though you die, if you believe in me, what? You will live. You will live. So the apostles have it on good authority. They, they know what they're talking about. They're just, they're just echoing Jesus. They're proclaiming the same message as Jesus. The good news message, the positive message. That's John eleven twenty three to 27, by the way. You go to Jesus to have your biggest problem solved, and that would be your death problem, your suffering problem. That's what they're proclaiming. And here's my question for you. What's not to like? What's not to like? This is applicable to anybody and everybody, and it's good news if you trust in Christ. It's no wonder they're proclaiming it. Okay, now we should read it the right way. Upon closer examination, let's not skip the middle, verses 1 and 2. And as they were speaking to the people, now let's read the whole thing, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching and teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It's all kinds of wrong, right? They, they've got something good that everybody needs. And, and what are they? They're, they're annoyed. They're bugged. They're bothered. They're put out by it. They're aggravated. So you have the priests. We know who they are. The priests of the temple, the captain of the temple, high-ranking job in charge of security, ranking right under the chief priests. And then we have the Sadducees, high-class, aristocratic Jewish group associated with the temple, also associated with skepticism. And one thing that we know to be true based upon what Jesus says about the Sadducees is they deny the what? They deny the resurrection. They're known, they're infamous for denying the resurrection. Matthew twenty two twenty three. Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. Somebody just said to me in between services, now you know why they're called the Sadducees, right? I said, tell me. Because they're sad, because they don't believe in the resurrection. I said, you'll make the next hour, but I'm not sure if it'll get a laugh or not. <laughs> There's no hope. There's no hope from the Sadducees. So they're greatly annoyed, bothered, irked. Why? Because they don't like it that Peter and John and the apostles, the fishermen, aren't sanctioned teachers. And the Sadducees really don't like it because they don't like their theology. They don't like their message. But we would read it and say, that's just all sorts of wrong. That's all kinds of wrong. I hope that's how we would read it. But it is what it is. How about verse 3? Here's how annoyed they are. And they arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they, it's time to close up shop. We're done for the day. We have places to go. We'll deal with you guys in the morning. So they're clocking out. And that's what happens there. So too late in the day for a trial. Verse 4, let's keep reading. But many, many of those who had heard the word, they're not annoyed. Same exact word, same exact message. 
believed. And I've mentioned a couple of times that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, the right response to Jesus and what he's done is repent. And I told you, uh, and sometimes it doesn't say repent, sometimes it says believe, but they're talking about the same thing because it's two sides of, of the coin. If you believe, you're repenting, and if you're repenting, you're believing. Belief means trust, okay? So they've been wrong about Jesus, and now they see him for who he really is, and they're going to put their trust in him. Well, that assumes they're turning their back on their errors. They're repenting. So that's why it's used interchangeably, depending on the text. Both are built into it. So many heard the word. They're not, they're not agitated. They're not irked. They're not annoyed. They believe. They trust in him for their eternal destiny. Let's keep reading in verse 4. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. And I read it like that, 5,000, because it's a big number. It's significant. There's significant growth. The powers that be say, no, we're going to arrest you. But the people hear the same exact message, and they trust in him, and it's significant growth. Now, some, we don't need to get bogged down on this. It's either the men believe 5,000, as in mankind, or it's the men believe 5,000, and that's how we're counting things. And so then you have to add to the 5,000 the Women and children. It doesn't matter which way you'd like to interpret it. Both are wow kind of statements. Yeah. John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb too. Doesn't mean it's normative, but it happens. It's extraordinary. And I can't help myself but but want to give you application. Let's learn from the book of Acts. And we say, you know, lots of things in the book of Acts are transitional and they are, but the gospel is not transitional. And this kind of text has encouraged Christians like us throughout the ages. Stick to the script. Keep preaching that there's hope in Christ and only in Christ. And it might lead to jail time or other things that aren't good. But you got to know that it is the power of God unto salvation. Stick to the script, church. Don't be a coward. Don't be a compromiser. Be bold and be truthful. If there's anything to take away from this sermon for us, or at least for me today, it certainly is that. They're believing in Jesus for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for adoption, for justification, for sanctification, and all, you can summarize the whole thing, for resurrection. Though they die, they will live. The greatest need that men and women and boys and girls like you and like me have is escape from our death and judgment problem. And you can find it in Jesus. Now, let's go to verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So some of those details are new there because Luke's including some, a sampling of significant people. But one thing that's not very new, and that's when we read in verse 6, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas. Sound familiar? If we read Matthew, Matthew 26, we'd say, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. When Jesus was on trial, we got the same kind of players, the same kind of officials. One thing that happens in, throughout this account is you see a lot of similarities. This is what Jesus taught about salvation. The apostles teach the same thing. 
This is how they responded to Jesus when he preached himself. And they responded positively and negatively. The apostles, when they preach Christ, there's a response that's positive and negative, even from some of the same people. Again, I think this is designed to help us as the church say, we need to stick to what Jesus said because that's what's right. And the apostles said the same thing. And it would be a really good idea for us to have overlap and similarity with them. Really good idea is an understatement. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 9, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So there's continuity, continuity of message, continuity of response, continuity of repercussions. Now verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name There's overlap between those two ideas in light of chapter 3. By what power and by what name did you do this? This meaning, just in chapter 3, they they healed a lame man. They healed a a man who we're going to learn who who is now 40-some years old and who everybody knew about. He's a staple as a asking for alms guy. He's been healed and they didn't say, show us evidence that he's healed. No, they said, how'd you do it? So do notice there's not a question about whether or not it happened. It's it's by what power, by what name did you do this? That's what's going on here. Then how about verse eight? Then Peter, I wrote in my margin, known for denials. Okay. Then Peter, known for denials. I think that helps us understand, filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. So think about the intimidation factor. Uh, Let's rate it on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Here's Peter, the guy who's known for denials and it's intimidation factor 10. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's controlled by the Spirit. Said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel. Universal. I want you all to know this, and I want all of the people of Israel to know also something about this and about you. Keep that in mind. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Messiah who is the Savior, who is the humble one who you all know from Nazareth growing up, he's the Messiah. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, notice, you crucified, This is a pattern in Peter's preaching. Whom God raised from the dead. So notice there, please don't miss that. You versus God. That's a refrain. You versus God. You claim to represent God, but notice what happened. You versus God. By Him. Think of Him there in this context. Him is the crucified, resurrected one. By Him. The crucified one. The crucified, resurrected one. That by him, this man is standing before you well. This is great. What he's saying. 
The evidence stands, literally. And you don't want to know how it happened? It happened because Jesus did it. That's why it happened. That's how it happened. You're against God. Proof is you crucified Jesus, and Jesus is the one who raised this man from the dead. Jesus, who is resurrected, raised this man from the dead. This is, this is spicy. This is the kind of stuff that gets you in trouble. It's the kind of stuff that gets people angry. It's also the kind of stuff that gets people converted. I do want to go back just for a moment so I don't forget and pick up on a technical detail. If you don't like technical details, you can check your emails, I guess. Um, at the end of verse, I don't really mean that, but at the end of verse 9, technical detail, by what means this man has been healed. So you don't pick it up in the English translations, but it's the word that's often translated and it will be translated saved. So there's a good play on words. In Acts 4.12, it's the same Greek word, and it's going to be translated saved. Here it's translated healed, and I think it should be. But I do think it's worth us noticing. Because this temporary healing is a kind of saving. Because it pictures ultimate, spiritual, foreverlasting saving. So he's, he's picking up on that. The Greek word is sozo. You don't need to know that to go to heaven. Thank the Lord. Um, but some of you like to know these things. So this man was sozoed. He was healed. But the healing is a picture of salvation because it's a picture of resurrection. Remember in chapter 3, Peter raised him. Not the same way Jesus can, but it pictures what is to come. And so he's all about salvation. And when you see this man standing here, as he says, you're seeing what happens. Oh, this man's going to go on to die in time. But it pictures for us what happens on the eternal level by Jesus. And you want proof? The guy's standing right here. Can't make this stuff up. Where were we? We were moving right along. Oh, oh, maybe just one more quick thing, and that would be, isn't it interesting how Peter says he wants all of Israel to know this? He's, in effect, saying, I want all Israel to know that you guys are clowns. I want all of Israel to know that you guys have done the wrong thing and ought not be trusted. You need to trust us because look at this guy standing here. But he wants all Israel to know that their leaders, and oftentimes the leaders represent the hearts of the people, goes both ways, don't trust these guys. He wants them all to know. All right. You guys hanging in there? I'm starting to sweat. This is fun. All right, let's go. Let's, let's, let's move on. A little schooling from P P Peter the fisherman. Here we go. Lesson in theology. Verse 11. This Jesus, literally this one, this one is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, those of you who've been a Christian very long at all, you, you say that, that sounds familiar. That sounds pretty good. I, I wonder where that came from. Well, it sounds familiar because he's taking that from Psalm 118. Oh, but let's think a little further. It sounds familiar because it's in Psalm 118, but Jesus himself during his earthly ministry quotes Psalm 118 regarding himself. 
So the continuity is carrying over. Messianic psalm fulfilled. Jesus says it's about me. And the apostles are sticking to the script. Yep, it's about Jesus. That would be Luke chapter 20, verse 17, where Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And here's what you need to know about that. Think with me. Think, think, think. The cornerstone is what you have to get right. And if you don't get the cornerstone right, then the whole building is going to be flawed. So what is Peter saying? It's what Jesus was saying. It's what the psalmist was anticipating. If you don't get the fact that Jesus is the one and only way to be resurrected from the dead, then your whole religious system is broken. That, that is what he's saying. The whole building is flawed. So it's no wonder they're, they're going to treat him badly. But I mean, think, think about this even in our day. This is what Christians said. This is what Christians say. This is what we say. And it will be responded to not always positively. What you do with Jesus is the issue. Because if you don't get the cornerstone right, and in our context, the key to your sin problem, your death problem, your suffering problem, the key to salvation is the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't get that right... Your whole religious building is a sham. Dun, 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 dun. They killed Jesus for saying this kind of stuff. They will in time kill Peter for saying this kind of stuff. They probably won't kill you for it, but if you believe this like Christians always have, some people are going to hear the message and say, then I believe in Jesus and repent. And other people are going to say, you're such a bad person. It's getting spicy. It's getting real spicy. But we, we, we need to be aware of this. We need to be very aware. Without Jesus as the resurrection, religion is misguided at its very essence, at the very beginning, the cornerstone. It can't deliver. It's not saving. Let's keep going. Now that ties into verse 12. Now we have a context. Verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's our Greek word, sozo, ultimately healed. There it is. Back to verse 9. What an amazing statement. And if we can just stop and be honest and say, sin is my problem, death is my problem, suffering is my problem, and there is one who was raised from the dead before eyewitnesses, he talked about it, he interpreted it, he explained it, his apostles after him said the same sorts of things. You'd say, oh, I'm so glad I can have forgiveness. I'm so glad I can be guaranteed though I die, I will live. That that cemetery, regardless of what the mortician says, is not my forever resting place. You see, this is great. I love Acts 4.12 because there is a way to be saved. And it's by the name of Jesus. It's by the person of Jesus. This is, this is wonderful. It's why the apostles were teaching and proclaiming. Because it's, it's glad tidings. It's good news. But we have to know just how controversial it is. Because it is the light that shines itself on the darkness that is humanly contrived. Resurrection of Jesus rejecting human religion. 
It's a big deal. It's a big deal. No one else. I like it that it's personal. So you're not saved by philosophy or a certain theological system. You're saved by a person. No one else. That's important. No other name. Jesus is the only one who ever lived up to his namesake. He saved his people from their sins because of his righteousness. And then do notice how inclusive it is. Sometimes people fault Acts 4.12 for being exclusive. We'll get to that. Let's first admire its inclusivity. Under heaven. That, that, That includes everybody. Given among men, human beings. That includes everybody. It's very inclusive. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is, this is good for everybody. Doesn't get more inclusive. But you gotta know, right? The other foot drops. The very thing that makes Christianity inclusive also makes it exclusive. Under heaven, what's the one way to be saved? Well, God's one and only Son. So if you, who live under heaven, and you do, and you're a human being, and you are, have to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Because there's only one way. There's lots of other buildings, religious systems, but if you reject the cornerstone... The whole thing is a house of cards, we might say. Great stuff, but greatly controversial. It's how it must be, he even says. Well, if this sounds like Jesus, it's because they're, 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 they're following the script. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Great commission is the same thing. All authority has been given to me under heaven. And so what does he say? Make disciples of all nations. So all ethnos, all people groups, because one thing we all have in common is we're all sinners and we have one Savior that we must turn to if we're going to be forgiven. So all of this is very on point. All of this is not new. It's similar. Uh, It's the same in other words. If you want to hear from the Apostle Paul, he will say later on, there's one mediator between God and And man, the man, Christ Jesus. So we can get hung up on this and say, oh, this is, this is so, so narrow. There's a way. (laughs) There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be resurrected. Are you kidding me? Say that to the 5,000 plus men, women, boys and girls. Only, get this, how about this? Don't, don't be the person that says Jesus is the only way, Jesus, Jesus is the only way, hard to say. Jesus is the only way and have no explanation for it. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. One, one person, uniquely born, fulfilled all righteousness, met every obligation, the obligations you don't meet and I don't meet. He loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. I didn't come to abolish the law, Jesus said. I came to fulfill the law. One unique person. Many people were crucified. Many people. At one point in time, the Romans are looking for more wood to crucify people. 
One unique person gave his life as a ransom for substitution. Many as the one and only mediator. One and only one person was raised from the dead on behalf of those, not not just for himself, but on behalf of his people, on behalf of those he represents. And walked the earth and talked about it before eyewitnesses. And one and only person ascended to his throne and is seated ruling and reigning. We've been learning about that in the book of Acts. King of kings and Lord of lords. See, that's the rationale. I may be hated for saying you must believe in Jesus or there's no hope for you. But hopefully I'm not hated for not also having an explanation for it. It's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable. What's unreasonable is to not trust in that which is logical with historical evidences. What do you think about cultural pluralism? Since that's what we're talking about in contrast. What do you, what do you think about multiculturalism? Kind of a trick question. It's a big deal in, in, in our world in the 21st century. Well, my taste buds are grateful for multiculturalism. I, I'm, I, I've eaten so many different kinds of foods that my dad never had. It's awesome. Wonderful. I'm a fan. I like learning about other places. I like learning about other people's customs and, and manners and friends who look different, friends who talk different, friends who are from other countries, other side of the world. I love traveling there. I love it that, that all nations have come to us. There's so that they're made in God's image. Can learn so many things. I'm so thankful for things like cultural pluralism. I'm using that in a very general sense. And multiculturalism. But the religious side of it, speaking as a Christian, following Jesus, following the apostles, following all Christians throughout history, is a lie. Because there's only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. You got to come to grips with that. You got to deal with it. You have to. It was controversial in the first century. It's controversial now. It always will be controversial. It doesn't mean we're angry at people, yelling at people. No, we show kindness, compassion, and mercy, and we tell them the truth about Jesus who said, though you die, you will live if you believe in me. Otherwise, the Great Commission doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, the apostles are liars. Otherwise, Jesus ought not be trusted. It's really important that we grapple with these things. Really important. And it's really important, not just today, but it's important in other days. Now, I don't want to get... I'm already way off track, but... Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking this has just become an issue in our day. It's leading to conflict when Peter's preaching to Jews. But it's going to lead to conflict when you preach to Gentiles also. There are many different religions in the world even when they're living. He's not talking to a bunch of Christians. And as the gospel goes forth and goes to the ends of the earth, it's not because everybody's already Christianized. 
So we have to remember that. We're not the first ones dealing with the rub of religious pluralism. Oh, now that I'm that far off track, I'll say one more thing. Please don't make the mistake of forgetting how it is someone who is not a Christian becomes a Christian. It's not by the tip of the sword. We've already learned from Peter, it's by believing in Jesus as an individual is how that happens. Peter is arguing for spiritual sanity, not insanity. Jesus was raised from the dead. You know it. This man was healed because of the resurrection of Jesus and he's standing right in front of you. Peter's not saying, take it on faith. Peter's not saying anything like that. He's saying, believe in what's authentic and genuine. Okay. We better keep going. How about verse 13? Okay, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, remember fishermen, we learned about that in chapter 3, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, they're the, they're, they sound a lot like Jesus. Well, they were with Jesus. It's the same thing. They're saying the same kind of things that he said. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The argument stands, literally. This is good. This is good to see and good to have on the record. Verse 15 says, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying in verse 16, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign, notable sign, excuse me, notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this isn't some kind of weird dreamscape thing that happened in somebody's basement or something. This is, this is, public eyewitness testimony, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Fake religion and the politics involved are gross, and we're seeing it right here. Verse 18, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So when you don't have a rational response, just intimidate is what's happening here. They don't have a rational response. Because what we're talking about is not irrational, it's actually rational. But it's a threat. It's a threat to a self-interest group, is what it is. It's It's a threat because there's money involved. There's power and authority involved. So, do good, maybe use the word God. But not Jesus. Not Jesus who is the resurrection. So they're, they're in utter denial of reality. They're asking for blind faith, contra evidence. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And I think that's one of those moments where Peter is in effect saying, think, think about this. For we cannot 
but speak of what we have, notice, seen and heard. We, we just simply cannot bring ourselves to be in denial of reality. You guys can take your made-up religious faith on faith if you want, but that's not the kind of religion that Christianity is. And I love it that Luke is going out of his way to record in Luke and Acts, volume 1 and volume 2. Remember in chapter 1 of Luke, he's writing this so that people who read it can have certainty about real things that really happened because you're really going to die and you really need to be raised from the dead and you're not crazy if you're a Christian. Let's keep going. In verse 21 it says, and we're going to wrap things up, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Same message leads to that, so let's remember that. Lest you cave in and compromise and want to save your own skin, notice the people, they're praising God for what had happened. The leaders aren't, but the people are. They're in touch with reality. Verse 22 says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. For, for I think most of my, my life, my young life, because I'm young, I'm 53. I feel young, not so young. For most of my life, generally speaking, I think people affirm things that are logical, scientific, true, historic, with evidences. But the older I get, the more naive I feel for thinking that way. A lot of t- I'm thankful that generally speaking, I think the truth wins eventually, even in cultural things. I mean, I, I would have read this for a long time in my life, and I thought, this just seems so almost unbelievable. Because, I mean, evidence are evidences. And so Jesus walked the earth after he was raised, before eyewitnesses, all around. He spoke and explained the meaning of it. And then he has apostles, and then there are eyewitnesses, and they see him ascend. All of this is before their eyes and their ears. Surely... If people really would have seen, they, surely they would believe because facts. And then comes 2020 and 21 and 22. Ah. <laughs> I'm not going to make our day about this, but like never before in my short little life have I been absolutely baffled by people seeing things that are objective and true and saying they're not. What in the world? It is, it is crazy what people will say and promote and believe because of their self-interest interest group. Absolutely crazy. And that doesn't make the Bible true, but I'm here to confess I've been so naive and actually watching and seeing people today affirm things that are absolute kooky McCookieville, I go, you know what? I actually believe the Bible like never before. That they could have their self-interests jeopardized and say wrong is right and right is wrong. I guess it is in the human heart even amongst leaders and learned people.
crazy, crazy, crazy. If you are a Christian, Luke would want you to know you're not crazy. You're in touch with reality. It doesn't mean you're better than other people, but by God's grace, you've come to affirm historic realities that will matter forever. And if you're not a Christian, by God's grace and only by God's grace, our prayer for you would be that you would get in touch with historic reality. And I don't mean that as an insult, but you would come to trust in, believe in the one and only one who was raised bodily from the dead and promised that if you trust in him, you too, though you die, you will live and be raised bodily from the dead. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for a great time in your word. We don't like the controversies when it means our persecution, but we do like the controversies that help us to see what's sane and what's clear and what's historic and what's right and what's not right. So help us to think clearly. Help us to have compassion for those who are misguided and to extend grace and mercy to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.